0: Welcome to Trevecca Community Church's sermon podcast series. Each week we'll be streaming our sermon from within the sanctuary just for you.
1: Sometimes when we read scripture and it hearkens to people in history, we don't often think about people who have expressed similar degrees of faithfulness and trust in the Lord. And so I'm going to be reading some names from Hebrews chapter 11 that will be familiar to you. But as I was reading it in preparation for this moment this week, I was reminded of untold numbers of people who have been a part of this church who expressed similar faith. This is a great word from the Lord this morning. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as if it were dry land. But when the Egyptians attempted to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had received the spies in peace. And what more should I say for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in war and put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead by resurrection Others were tortured, refusing to accept release in order to obtain a better resurrection. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, persecuted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. Yet all these... They, though they were commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better so that they would not, apart from us, be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. The pioneer and perfecter of our faith who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross disregarding its shame and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God this is the word of the Lord
0: Michael thank you thank you for reminding us of the great cloud of witnesses that we stand among today you know in just a moment we're going to invite the Children in here, fifth and younger, sixth and younger, to head out with Pastor Isaac. Before we do, I've got a question for you. I, I'd love to know who were some of your favorite childhood heroes? Favorite childhood heroes? Feel free to just shout it out. We're all friends here. Favorite childhood heroes? Superheroes, maybe? Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman. All right. Any other favorite child, Jovi, favorite childhood heroes? Harry Potter, who was that? Oh, we got some shy ones. They were courageous until I looked at them and then whoo! The underdogs. Thunderdog is Thunderdog. What was that, Grace? Grace say it one more time. Sonic the Hedgehog. Yes, so good. We're going to be talking, kiddos, about heroes of the faith today. And I just want you to know before you head out with Pastor Isaac that you are a part of a great cloud of witnesses. And not only that, you are going to be part of the story that people tell for generations to generations of God's faith faithfulness so why don't you guys get up right now head out with pastor isaac we are so glad that you have been worshiping with us this morning what a good day you know when we're young we need heroes Heroes are really important. In fact, psychologists and sociologists write about heroes and how significant heroes are in the way that we construct what some people talk about as a world view. Heroes and hero stories, telling stories of people with ability and power, it does something to our imagination. It creates the kind of world that we want to live in and casts a vision, for the kinds of people that we want to be. We call this worldview, some people might call it paradigm. Last week, if you were with us, when we kicked off this sermon of Faith for Doubters, we talked about a map, right? We talked about this map that we're handed that helps us make sense of the geography, if you will, of the world around us. It makes sense of the world. But at some point then, You begin with the the stories of the heroes of faith. You grow up a little bit. You grow up a little bit, and you realize that anyone wearing a cape is probably crazy and that your heroes aren't as shiny as you thought they were. There might be some holes in that bulletproof spandex after all. And when our heroes lose their shine, for many of us, That is the beginning of a season of doubt when our heroes lose their shine. In fact, uh, when that begins to happen, it it, it causes us to question this great construction project, our worldview, It, it, it questions everything about the imagination that we built about life. Well, then you grow up even a little bit more and you realize, Everyone's crazy. Everyone's crazy and there are no more heroes and we're all just people. And the craziest ones aren't even the ones wearing a cape. Hebrews chapter 11 is sometimes called the hall of faith. Some others talk about it as the heroes of faith. These stories are all a part of what the author of Hebrews in chapter 12 will call the great cloud of witnesses that surrounds us as we run this race pursuing the promise of God, which, spoiler alert, the promise of God is found in Jesus. And so as we run this race after the promise of God found in Jesus, we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. But can I ask have you read the stories of the old testament about these people that are named like the whole story about some of these people because i don't know about you if you read the whole story these heroes are not as shiny as they first appear i mean when you read the whole story i'm not saying that god didn't do some amazing things through them i'm just saying the clouds a little bit funky if you know what i mean We didn't even read the part about Abraham and Sarah, but they're listed there. In fact, a long story about Abraham and Sarah, who were the first to receive the promise. I mean, the real promise. And Abraham and Sarah, they doubted God's ability to bring that promise about so much that on two different occasions, they took matters into their own hands in really harmful ways, Moses, the one who led people through the Red Sea, led people out of slavery in Egypt. Moses, he argued with God beginning at the burning bush until the day he died. He didn't stop arguing with God. Rahab, who is listed for us as Rahab the prostitute, seems in some cases to be more concerned with saving her own bacon as much as she was believing in this promise of God. And then you've got Gideon. I love Gideon. Gideon, who was just named briefly, right? The author says, oh, I don't even have time to tell you about Gideon. Maybe the reason that there's no time to tell us about Gideon is that in Judges chapter six, when an angel of the Lord shows up to tell Gideon exactly how he is going to lead the people to defeat their enemies, the Midians, when this angel of the Lord stands before him, and how many of you would love to have an angel of the Lord stand before you and tell you exactly what to do? Am I right? We long for those moments. Lord, just send an angel and tell me. Gideon had exactly that. An angel of the Lord standing in front of him, telling him exactly what to do. Gideon's response is this in Judges 6.13. Gideon answers him. But sir, if the Lord is with us, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the wonderful deeds that our ancestors recounted to us? Saying, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has cast us off and given us into the hand of Midian. His first response is to question all the stuff that he's heard about from that great cloud of witnesses that came before him. Asking, Could all of that really be true? Could that still be true? Where is this God who delivers today? That's the cloud, y'all. I mean, that is the great cloud of witnesses, these people who question and struggle and took matters into their own hands and doubted. That's the cloud. If you remember from last week, we talked about faith being a part of of a triangle, if you will. We just ripped this right off from Dr. H. Ray Dunning. This is his diagram. Uh, We talked about faith being a part of this triangle of God's promise and God's faithfulness. The fact that faith in the book of Hebrews isn't just something that we invent on our own. It's not a superpower that you're either born with or you're not. Faith is always a response to God's faithfulness. It's a response to God's promise. So God makes a promise, we respond in faith, but then that faith is undergirded with God's faithfulness. So faith was never meant to be a badge for the strongest among us. It is held in this web of relationship between the promise of God and the faithfulness of God. Sometimes it can feel hard to hold on to that web. In his book, Faith After Doubt, Brian McLaren tells a story of a man named Sam. Sam was an engineer with a brilliant mind for math and science, and he came to faith as an adult in part because he loved the logical sequence that was presented to him. It just felt so clear when one day a teacher came and said, you can construct a biblical Christian worldview in which everything else will make sense. So then all of his decisions, what should I do next? Where should I go? What's God calling me to do would just all come out of this totally clear worldview that would be biblical and Christian. And Sam longed for that. It seemed so logical and clear and his mathematical mind resonated with that. And then he studied the Bible and theology. And he said those early days of faith, it was like, it was like a Lego project. Do we have any Lego fans in the house? Seems like, yeah, I feel like all engineers must grow up playing with Legos, right? At some point, Sam was a big Lego fan, and it felt like like he was constructing this Lego fortress every time he'd study something new, a new fact about the Bible, a, a new a fact about theology. It was like someone had handed him a brick and he'd put that brick in place as he would construct this great big Lego fortress. And he felt safe and secure in that fortress. Until one day he showed up to a Bible study where a respected leader, told him after he'd asked some questions in the Bible study that he could not believe that the earth was more than 7,000 years old and believe in the authority of scripture at the same time. Remember Sam is an engineer and a scientist and and he was trying to make sense of that. And then the, the same leader went on to say that he couldn't believe in climate change was real and that Jesus was the Lord of heaven and earth. Sam struggled with that and so he came to this Bible study leader after the Bible study and he asked him some more questions and started to, to press him on these things as an engineer and a scientist he knew that cause and effect was a basic principle of science and that if we emit a bunch of hot gas into the atmosphere it has to have some kind of effect. But the leader told him, in his response to struggling and wrestling with these questions, the leader told him that he was asking dangerous questions and that he just needed to have more faith. And so Sam tried. He really tried. He understood that this leader was telling him that if you take even one or two bricks out of this Lego fortress that you have built the whole thing might just come tumbling down. And Sam didn't want that. He had fallen in love with the Lord in this process of constructing this Lego fortress of his, this fortress of faith, and he didn't want that. So he decided that night driving home that he was going to work hard He was going to work hard to push those questions down and to not think about the doubts and to just have faith to believe everything that he was told by his pastor and his Bible study leader. He was going to stop asking these questions until one day he couldn't. And it felt like, if you remember the quote from last week, the ground had been pulled out from under him. And he had no more ground to stand on. Like the fortress was collapsing around his feet. Maybe you've had an experience like that. Maybe you've walked through a moment, a season in life like that. Maybe it was because of something that you learned in an academic setting or environment that didn't make sense with everything else that you believed. Maybe it was after tragedy struck and trying to make sense of a good and loving God, when you were experiencing such intense pain. Did it make sense? Maybe it was after one of your faith heroes failed, when suddenly the world you were living in doesn't make sense with the fortress of faith that you have built. These heroes in Hebrews chapter 11, they aren't bulletproof. They also aren't living in some ivory tower fortress either. They're not living in a fortress. These are characters that are commended for their faith on a journey, running a race, Hebrews 12 tells us. In fact, Enoch and Noah, who are mentioned earlier in Hebrews chapter 11, in the Old Testament it tells us that both of these men walked with God. They walked with God on this journey with the Lord. Abraham and Sarah had to follow God, leaving behind the safety and protection and following into a land where they had never lived. And they never even got to live long enough to see their descendants become as numerous as the stars in the sky. Moses was called to lead the people out of the land that they had known that offered them safety and protection into the wilderness, through waves and wilderness and Moses never got to see the promised land these heroes in Hebrews chapter 11 these are not shiny action figure heroes they're covered in dust from the journey now i'm about to share a story from my journey and i just want to give you a heads up that it involves abuse And I'm going to tell it very carefully using very few details, but it still might be hard for some of you to hear. If you need to take this moment to stretch your legs or use the restroom or scroll a story on your phone, that is fine. When I was an undergraduate student, I was a student at a sister school, Point Loma Nazarene University. It was the first time in my life that I had encountered ideas about faith that made me really examine the fortress that I had built. And there was one professor in particular who was incredibly formative for me, who introduced ideas and asked questions that I had never asked before. And it felt like as I was in his classes and learning these things, sometimes it felt like the ground underneath me was shifting. I remember walking away from an Old Testament prophets class one day. And that one class, Old Testament prophets of all things, it rocked my world. The stuff that we had learned, I mean, it completely blew my mind. And I walked out of that class and it felt like the ground had just crumbled away beneath me. I became so desperate at that point, feeling like my faith fortress was crumbling. Some people will call these journeys of deconstruction. I don't know how helpful that term is all the time, but it definitely felt like something was being deconstructed. I was so desperate to reconstruct, to reconstruct a better fortress, one with with right biblical theology and, and, and right biblical scholarship, And so I looked to this one professor in particular to help me build it. I asked him questions, I stayed after class. I I read stuff that was not assigned. I went home over Christmas break with books that he had recommended to me to read stuff over Christmas break. It's probably part of the reason I'm a little bit crazy. I, I just needed to know more to construct a better fortress, a right fortress, a correct fortress. I continued in my education after I graduated Point Loma in my ministry life at seminary and beyond and and thankfully I had a lot of really great voices speaking into my life beyond just this one professor. Well several years ago while I was at the time the chaplain here at Trevecca Nazarene University, the Me Too movement became really prominent. It was a difficult time for me, personally, working with so many young people who needed to sit with a spiritual leader and to look in the face of their chaplain and to whisper, Me, too. And to find eyes staring back at them who understood exactly what that meant. So it was already a difficult time processing everything that was happening And one morning, Tim and I woke up and our phones, we just had dozens of text messages. Our phone was blowing up, as the kids say. We woke up to all of these text messages from friends from our college days that we hadn't heard from in years and years. And they were all linking to us this story, an article, an article from the news that had broken the horrific abuse scandal of this former professor who had been such a major part of my early education. Tim and I spent that whole morning just in shock. I cried a lot of tears. We were in silence quite a bit. We got on the phone and talked to some of our friends from years ago trying to make sense of all of this. How could this, how could this be? None of it made sense. Now that I've had time to process, years later, I can look back and I can see all the signs of manipulation and abuse. And I still wonder, why didn't I see it then? But at the time, when I'm still trying to make sense of all of this, I was, again, a university chaplain. And I felt like as more and more students were coming to me with their stories, I felt like I was supposed to have my fortress put together and fortified so that I could help these young people who were doubting and asking questions. And suddenly I'm looking at all of these bricks in my own fortress that had been handed to me by an abuser trying to figure out what I was supposed to do with those when suddenly those bricks felt like a millstone hung around my neck. Made me think completely different about the weight that it talks about in Hebrews chapter 12 that needs to be laid aside. The sin that clings so closely. And it has been a long journey for me Sorting out then, what is the weight that needs to be thrown off, like it says in Hebrews chapter 12, and what is part of the promise that is worth holding on to when even the ground under your feet crumbles away? You remember the story of Sam. We'll get back to Sam's story. Finally, one day, Sam is sitting in a worship service And there's a pastor who's preaching about the sermon on the mount when jesus keeps saying over and over again you heard that it was said but i say unto you you heard that it was said but i say unto you and in that moment it hits him that maybe faith was never meant to be a fortress of certainty that must be defended to the death. Maybe faith was a journey with questions and doubts that would always lead him further and further into the heart of God. So he made an appointment to see his pastor after that service, and he said to his pastor, any God worth believing in would be able to love me as a doubter and would rather me be honest than a pretender. I don't think that doubt destroys our faith. In fact, doubts can actually be companions on the journey that keep us moving. I love this quote from Friedrich Buchner. He says, doubts are the ants in the pants of faith that keep it alive and moving. Anybody have ants in your pants today? Doubts don't destroy faith. They can keep us moving, keep us from creating a fortress that will become like a millstone around our neck. Weighing us down and keeping us from running this race with Jesus. You know, there have been times in my life that I was ready to abandon an old fortress of faith just so long as I could quickly build another. Maybe you've experienced that. Deconstructing an ultra-conservative fortress of faith just to reconstruct an ultra-liberal fortress. They're both fortresses, you know. It may be you have left behind a fortress of faith built by Sunday school teachers only to recreate another one off of the statements of your Instagram gurus that you follow. Deconstructing the fortress of one denomination only to reconstruct the fortress of another or of the non denominational denomination. We are called to run the race to run the race surrounded by a great cloud and not by a great fortress. And that race, that journey of faith is looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who didn't settle for the safety of a fortress but endured the cross. You see, friends, the promise of God, and hear me here, The promise of God is not a promise that you will get an awesome fortress. That's not the promise. The promise is not that you will build an awesome life in a safe and tidy ivory tower where nothing can ever touch it, no scandal ever rocks you. The promise is not that life always goes easily and well for you and you never have tragedies to have to sort through. That's not the promise. The promise is Jesus, just Jesus, always and forever Jesus, running after Jesus, walking with Jesus, even if you have to limp after Jesus, he is your promise and your everything. Doubts don't destroy faith, but I think dishonesty does. When we begin, feel like we have to hide and to lie to ourselves and others about the cracks that are growing in our fortress, when we pretend like everything is okay until one day nothing is okay. That's the kind of thing that really does deep, long-term damage to faith. And so what do we do then? What do we do when on this journey with Jesus, we have these moments when it feels like the fortress is crumbling? I want to just give three suggestions. What do we do when the faith fortress starts to crumble? First suggestion, remember you are in good company know that you are in good company in fact it is in the moments of your deepest doubt that you are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses who have doubted and questioned and argued with god and kept limping anyways next i think it's really important might i suggest tell an honest story We need to become better storytellers. We practice something around here we call formational storytelling, telling stories that shape us and form us. And it is so important because these stories, they shape the construction project of our faith, the journey of our faith. And when we only tell the stories of the shiny action figure heroes, stories that don't leave room for doubt and for questions, we aren't being honest. And we are setting ourselves up for failure. Finally, when our fortress of faith starts to crumble, look for Jesus in the rubble. Look for Jesus in the rubble. Oh, he will meet you there. He will never just leave you in a pile of ash to sit by yourself. Jesus wants to meet you in the rubble, to meet you in that place of brokenness and questioning and despair, to meet you in the midst of the rubble so that he can lead you out to a place of wholeness and freedom where you can follow after him to run the race to run the race following after jesus laying aside the things that hinder that weigh you down look for jesus in the rubble and follow him out. For centuries, Christians have been on this journey. I know there are times where I need to be reminded. Like, I need people of different generations who are part of the faith journey in my life who will say to me, Shauna, you are not the first person to have ever experienced this. I need people like this to hear their stories. Christians have been on this journey for a long time. There is a great cloud of witnesses And some of the most important Christian literature throughout the centuries has been a genre that has become less popular these days, and I think it's super important, a genre called spiritual biographies or spiritual autobiographies. In fact, this last week, I asked the pastoral staff to give some of their favorite spiritual autobiographies, and there's a list here. We can put it out over emails and other things this week, not an exhaustive list, just a few of the favorites of the staff. If you're looking for things to read that are stories, formational stories of people who have journeyed with Jesus, this morning... As we conclude, in a moment we're going to sing a song that some of you know very well. It's a song about following Jesus, a song called Oceans. We sang a bit of it earlier, Spirit lead me. it's, It's a song asking God to lead us, recognizing that sometimes that leads us to places of uncertainty Sometimes that leads us to places where we feel like we are standing on water. And oh my goodness, if I look down, I'm about to fall through. So as we sing this final song, I just want to invite you to let this be your prayer. To let this be your response to how the Lord might be speaking to you this morning. In a moment, Pastor Tim is going to come and lead us in prayer. And if you'd even like to find a place at one of these altars to kneel, if it, it, for nothing else, just a, a way to say, I'm not sure that there's ground under my feet, so maybe it's time to get on my knees. Find a place to kneel in prayer before the Lord. You are welcome to do that. And as we sing this song to the Lord, the last thing I just want to invite you to do look for jesus look for jesus fix your eyes upon the author and perfecter of our faith who didn't settle for the safety of a fortress but who endured the cross for you today look for jesus Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to join us on campus next week, we have discipleship classes beginning at 9 a.m. followed by service at 1030. That service will be streamed to Facebook Live. We hope to see you there.